If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, we'll read verses 13 through 17. Let's begin at verse 13, if you would. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John the Baptist, suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now let me begin with this. The loved of God, this is in our handout, paragraph, first paragraph, page 1. The, the loved of God, those who God chose before the world began, those who He sheds His love upon in this world, are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now I want to say that again. The loved of God are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are born again by the Spirit of God. We are saved by the grace of God. Baptism pictures and confesses these blessings of grace. But being baptized has absolutely no redeeming, saving merit or, effic or efficacy. We are not saved because we get baptized. We get baptized because we are saved. We love the Lord. His commands are not grievous to us. It is our heart's desire to do the will of God stated in His Word. Some like to point out that Christ was baptized. Should we not be also? And that is true. But seeing it is a command, and I give you that command from Mark 16, 16, He that believeth is, and is baptized shall be saved. That is good enough for me. His ways are above my ways. His ways are right and good for me. His, says, his saying so is good enough. Is, is it a good thing that Christ got baptized? Is that, absolutely. That, that puts even more uh, validity. validity behind the word. Exactly. Thank you. Behind what he says there. His, his ways are right, and they are good for me. Now, two words of caution. Two words of caution are necessary because this ordinance of baptism has been so greatly perverted by lost religious people. And the first one is, let us throw away the creeds and the confessions of men and simply obey the Word of God as it stands without addition or alteration. Whenever we begin to tamper with the Word of God, thinking that maybe we should do it this way, or, or maybe, maybe it's meaning it this way, souls are ruined by that. The church, uh, souls are ruined by that. We must never attach, secondly, we must never attach any idolatrous, superstitious importance to, these or, to the ordinance of baptism. Baptism is a picture of redemption, but baptism is not redemption. Baptism is a picture of remission of sins, but baptism is not the remission of sins. 
Baptism is a picture of salvation, but baptism is not salvation. The trip from Galilee to the Jordan, as we read there in the beginning of verse 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan. That trip is, is more than a day's travel. And Jesus, our Lord Jesus, went to the inconvenience of traveling that to observe this ordinance of worship. Many of those who call themselves believers and followers of Christ quickly justify themselves in the neglect of worship. And I've heard those who profess to be uh, followers of Christ say, well, the thief didn't get baptized, so I don't see any reason I should either. That's, folks, that's just, that's just plain nonsense. Absolutely. <clears throat> the thief not being baptized just proves that baptism is not your salvation. Christ is our salvation. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't get baptized. The Lord still says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we, so because you're a believer or follower of Christ, some quickly justify themselves and neglect that worship. Lord, help us not to fall into that sin. Page 2. We will find no justification for our slackness in the Word of God. There's nowhere in the Word of God where it will justify for us to say, well, the thief didn't get baptized, so maybe I won't either. Or this one didn't get baptized, maybe I won't either. The Shunammite woman rode on horseback every Sabbath day to hear God's prophet at Carmel, though her husband hindered her. And that's a story in, the, in 2 Kings 4.23. In David's time, the saints of God passed through the valley of Baca, to worship God at Zion. That's in Psalms 84.6. In the day of Daniel, believers ran to and fro to increase knowledge, to know more about the Lord. And that's in Daniel 12.4. In Zechariah's day, the inhabitants of one city went to another saying, let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. That's in Zechariah 8.21. In the book of Acts, we read of the eunuch who journeyed from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. That's in Acts 8.25. Any man or woman who talks about being a Christian, who talks about worshiping God, who talks about being a believer, and yet willfully neglects the worship of God, ought to blush in shame. And baptism, folks, is worship. We also see in our text John the Baptist, though bold as he was as a lion, was also a man of true humility. When the Lord came to John for baptism out of humility, he forbade him, it says. He strenuously objected. He said over in Mark, I'm not worthy to latch the shoes thereof. He said, he's, uh, I'll get to that in a moment in verse 11 of, of our same chapter here. He strenuously objected but not out of a spirit of rebellion, but out of a spirit of reverence and awe, humility. Look over in verse 11 of, of chapter 3. I indeed baptize you with water, he said to, to the folks around him, water unto repentance, but he, speaking of the Lord Jesus, speaking of the Son of God, he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy, and this is every child of God's thought, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
John knew who Christ is. He knew that the man standing before him was the infinite God, his Redeemer and Savior, and he knew himself too. He knew that he was a sinner in need of grace and a sinner saved by grace through the merits of the Lamb of God who stood before him. Though he was conscious of his personal sin and unworthiness to do so, when the Lord commanded him to do it, John baptized him. No man is worthy to do anything in the worship and service of the Holy Lord God. I, I, I want to stop there for a moment because that's something God's ministers, and I, I've spoke about this with Pastor Gene many a times, I just I can't believe God is using me to preach His Word. You know, Gene said that for 38 years. I can't believe God is using me to preach His Word. That's just the way God's people are. We, we, we don't feel we're worthy of anything that the Lord might use us for. But if the Lord sends us to do something, and we know it's the Lord sending us, how dare us turn away from it just because we think we're unworthy? John the Baptist didn't turn away when the Lord said, do it, he did it. Now I want to read this again because I want, you to, I want you to see something here. See in verse 15 of your, of your Bible, where the, the red letter there, see where it says, suffer it to be so. Those words, it to be so, are in italics. That means that they're not of the original language. Suffer now. If you read it like that, you can really get a hold of the, of the demand, the command that God is saying here. It's not just suffer it to be so, but suffer now. Suffer it now. Suffer now. Do it now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill the righteousness, all righteousness. That's what this is talking, that's what we're talking about here. Though John was conscience back in our handout uh, paragraph just above the bottom there though he was conscious of his personal sin and unworthiness to do so when the Lord commanded him to do it John did it he baptized him no man is worthy is worthy to do anything in the worship service of the Holy Lord God our only worthiness before God is the Lord Jesus himself Christ he is our worthiness he is our sufficiency it is His blood and righteousness alone that makes us meet. That means fit to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light. That's, that's what we read in Colossians 1.12. And it is Christ who makes us worthy to approach our God in all acts of worship. Some have come to me and said, I want to wait. I don't, I don't want to participate in in the communion right now. I just don't feel the Lord, I, I don't feel worthy to do so. Folks, we're never in this flesh going to be worthy to do so. It takes the worthiness of Christ to bring us to approach God in all the acts of worship. We have no right in the name of humility to refuse any command or duty clearly set before us by our God just because we feel unworthy. Page 3. So why did the Lord Jesus insist upon being baptized by John? He had no sins to confess. He had no transgressions of which to repent of. He had no iniquities to be washed away, yet he told John that it was necessary for him to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. 
But what did his baptism have to do with the fulfillment of all righteousness? Well, we know that our blessed Savior fulfilled all the righteous requirements of, the, of God's law for us as our representative, freeing us from its curse and condemnation by his obedience unto death. That's what we read in Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as by one offense, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We also know that he fulfilled the will of God as the God-man, as our mediator, by which we are forever sanctified. And we read that in Hebrews 10, verse 5 through 14, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, speaking of Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. This is the Lord fulfilling the will of God. To do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering offering, some oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering. Not many, but one. Why was it just one? Well, it was because it was a perfect offering, that's why. The offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, page 4. By his baptism, our Savior symbolically fulfilled all righteousness and established as a standing ordinance in his church that by which believing men and women publicly confess the fulfillment of all righteousness in him. That's important. In him. By his baptism, the Lord Jesus symbolically demonstrated how he would fulfill all righteousness as our sin atoning substitute. He fulfilled all righteousness when he said on that cross, it is finished. Everything that needed to redeem God's people and to God the Father, it was done. All righteousness was fulfilled. By his baptism, the Lord, the Lord Jesus symbolically demonstrated how he would fulfill all righteousness as our sin atoning substitute. 
And by our baptism, we confess the same, the baptism of Christ, wrote J.C., or wrote Charles Spurgeon, was the picture, the type, the symbol of work which he afterwards accomplished. He was immersed in suffering. He died and was buried in the tomb. He rose again from the grave and all that is set forth in the outward symbol of his baptism in the river of Jordan. Believer's baptism typifies all righteousness being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It is an ordinance full of meaning, which rightfully, which when rightfully observed, it is to be reverently observed by all who follow Christ. If our Lord himself submitted to it, how can we how can we follow him and refuse to submit to it ourselves? Again, Spurgeon wrote this. He says, Shall I refuse to follow my Lord? Shall I think that there is nothing in an ordinance of which he has said, Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness? Now I thought about that for just a moment. Because we're about to see in, in 16 and 17 the, the full trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It if, if you think about that, when he said, when the Lord was made, or, uh, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, was the Lord's, and, I, and this is just an opinion, so I don't want to, I don't want to, I didn't see anything in any commentaries that went one way or the other with this, but if you think about that, was the Lord could have been speaking of us as the Trinity. If, if it becometh us. But he's also could be speaking of us, the people of God, the family of God, the church of God, because we do the same in Him, not in our getting baptized ourselves, but in claiming or in, in going through the ordinance of baptism, we're claiming our fulfillment of righteousness in Christ, in what He's done. So that us could mean either one, either the Trinity or the people of God. Brother Don Fortner, third paragraph, page four. Brother Don Fortner wrote this. He says, When the Lord Jesus made sin for us, he was slain under the wrath of God and buried. When he had put away sin, he rose from the dead because he had accomplished our justification. When believers follow Christ into the watery grave, we publicly acknowledge that our only hope before God is that which he accomplished for us in his death, his resurrection, as our substitute. Now rising up out of the watery grave, we symbolically avow our allegiance to Christ, walking with him in the newness of life, in the hope of the resurrection, as we read about in Romans 6, verses 4 through 6. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed there, that henceforth we should not serve sin." Page 5. What wonderful grace that God would give us this ordinance of baptism symbolizing His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Folks, many have turned 
this ordinance into great lasciviousness, a wicked ritual. They have come to say baptism is a sign of your salvation. Or if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Lord, keep us from this evil ourselves. As I said in the beginning, the loved of God are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are born again by the Spirit of God. We are saved by the grace of God. Baptism pictures and confesses these blessings of grace, but being baptized has absolutely no redeeming, saving merit efficacy. We are not saved because we get baptized. We get baptized because we are saved. Next, we're given a solemn and wonderful sight. The beauty of the Trinity hand in hand as it says in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the waters. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we see the interest of the triune God in the work of redemption as one, I forgot a little bit. I forgot something on the end of my, on the end of my. As one, here is a display of the Holy Trinity, an identification of our Lord Jesus as the Messiah, and a declaration from heaven where it says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." Here is everything that is solemn and glorious. The scene before us ought to be considered with the utmost care and awe. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, as we read in 1 John 5, 7. Here, the three persons of the triune God distinctly, distinctly manifest themselves. God the Father speaks by a voice from heaven. God the Son, incarnate in human flesh, stoops to the watery grave. And God the Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove, lighting upon our blessed Savior. Here we have the most majestic meeting of the three persons of the Holy Trinity about the work of redemption. Page 6. As in the beginning of creation, the triune God said this, He said, Let us make man. So as in the beginning of redemption, it seems that He's saying, Let us redeem man. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Right there we see God the Father, God the Son, of whom the blessings are in, and the Spirit, the spiritual blessings of heaven. Verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him, God the Father chosen us in His Son, before the world, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in our earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the precious possession unto the praise of his glory. Page 7. The salvation of our souls is the united work of all three, the triune God. It was planned and purposed by God the Father. It was purchased and obtained for us by God the Son. And it is performed and sealed, as we just read in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, sealed in us by God the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the Lord tells us plainly, it is Christ's work that God accepts it is the works of his beloved Son that please the Father. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How significant it is that the man Christ Jesus is here declared to be God's Son. As he portrays his death, his burial, and his resurrection as our substitute. He is as fully God in his lotus humiliation as he is in his highest eternal glory. The glory and perfection of our Savior as God in his essential divinity has even was even slightly diminished, or was not even slightly diminished by his incarnation, his obedience, and his death as our surety. Again, I quote from Brother Don Fortner, whenever we read anything about him in the book of God that appears to limit his knowledge, power, or being, we must never fail to recognize that such limitations only reflect the genuineness of his humanity and his voluntary subjection to the will of God as Jehovah's righteous servant for the accomplishment of our redemption. And I'll give you an example of that. It says he had, he had to learn obedience. Now, as God, he didn't have to learn anything, folks. But as the man in flesh, we take those kinds of statements to understand the significance that it means of him in the flesh. You understand what I mean by that? So, going on, he who is God, our Savior, is God and man in one glorious person. He is truly and fully, perfectly God, and he is truly and fully and perfectly man. It is he, the God-man, our mediator, in whom and through whom and by whom we have access to the everlasting acceptance of, it, of the eternal God. We just read that in Ephesians 1. That was the purpose of that, to show us. It's through him and him alone. God the Father is well pleased with Christ and only with Christ. He is well pleased with his person. He is well pleased with his obedience. He is well pleased with his sacrifice. 
And he's well pleased with the picture in his baptism. Page 8. He is eternally pleased and satisfied with his son as his servant. Listen to the words of Isaiah 42.1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He is infinitely and eternally well pleased with the sacrifice of his son as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We read that in Revelation 13 verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. He was well pleased with his assumption of our nature, with his obedience to the law, bringing in everlasting righteousness with him being made sin for us, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, enduring the penalty and curse of his holy law against sin to the full satisfaction of justice as our substitute. Yes, the Father is well pleased with his person, with his righteousness, his satisfaction and his atonement by which his law is magnified and honored and his justice is satisfied. But the voice from heaven did not say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's not what it said at all. No, the voice from heaven said this. He said, this is my beloved son in. Did you catch that? Not with, but in. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Aren't you thankful for that? We ought to be. The God of glory is well pleased with all who are in His Son because of His Son. That's what that's saying. All of those who are in Christ, because of what He has done, God the Father is well pleased. Isn't that amazing? He looks at us, all of us, and He's well pleased with us in His Son. How thankful we ought to be for that, that God, the God of glory, is well pleased with all who are in His Son because of His Son. He is well pleased with us in Christ, for He made us the righteousness of God in Him. God is not only well pleased with His Son and in, and in His Son, He's well pleased with all of His people as well. In Him, He loves us with an everlasting love. As the Son, our surety, He is delighted with us from eternity. So the Father took delight in us, rejoiced over us, accepted us, and blessed us with all spiritual blessings in His Son, as we just read in Ephesians 1, before the world began, as we just read, page 9. God shall rejoice over them with joy and singing forever. Them, speaking of those who are in His Son, who forever and he will be resting in his love. As we read in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Robert Hawker wrote this passage, and I want to quote this in closing tonight. It just blessed me greatly to read. Robert Hawker's got a way of saying things uh, that are, I don't want to place a man any higher than I should, but he's got an eloquency of, of, of his ability to write. May the Lord mercifully grant that the whole church of God, through divine teaching, 
may be enabled to keep in unceasing remembrance the Father's testimony to His dear Son. And while my soul and the souls of all His redeemed are thus continually hearing and receiving the precious assurance of God's being well pleased with His dear Son for His redeeming love to His church and His finished salvation for His people, oh for grace, oh for grace to love Him whom Jehovah in all the persons of the Godhead loves, and to delight in him in whom Jehovah delighteth. Precious Lord Jesus, I would say, and then he quotes from Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth my soul desireth but thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen.